Week nine. That's a wrap. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Ten and a half point underdogs come out on top. Joe Mixon scores five touchdowns. And we get Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, overcoming a 17-point deficit. We'll get to all those games, plus every single fantasy-relevant player here on the Instant Reaction Show for Week 9. Hayden Winks, John Daigle are 4 for 4, and Betsperts. Let's kick it off with the Miami Dolphins and Chicago Bears, because it was one of the few games, Daigle, on Sunday that had fireworks. 32 for the Chicago Bears, 35 for the Dolphins, who improved to 6-3 to and continue this awesome run of offensive let's say entertainment that we all get to see 745 yards of total offense, 44 combined first downs and seven red zone touchdowns. And it was close throughout the Dolphins managed to score their 35 points actually on only 53 plays today. Uh, they got a huge stop um, for the bears defense on fourth and one. They, the Dolphins tried to put the game away on their side of the field on the 30 with eight minutes remaining. And then Rather than going for the field goal up by three, Dolphins instead go for it because they were having issues stopping Justin Fields. We'll get to them in a minute. Uh, Bears get the ball back, have to punt. But again, Finns, once they force them to punt, get it back, try to go for the kill, up by three again with less than three minutes remaining, and Jalen Waddle beats his guy on third and 11. Wide open downfield to a egregiously underthrows him, forcing Waddle to reposition his body and basically drop the ball because he had to come back and fight a cornerback for it. So that gave the Bears opportunity. The Dolphins eventually went, ended up winning this game in the end. But overall, the focus should be on Justin Fields' day. Uh, Career-long 61-yard touchdown run today in which he, when you watch it, it's amazing. He froze his defender by pump faking across his body uh, in order to then scramble upfield and only beat one more man. But the most rushing yards, 178 in a game ever by a Bears quarterback, the most rushing yards by any NFL quarterback, not only this season, but ever in NFL history. What? And then in a single game, the most what? rushing yards by a quarterback. Uh, I didn't know that. That's insane yes. that we get this here in week 10 of the season. That's been so down offensively. It's literally the best rushing performance of all time for a quarterback. And it included seven design runs as they have averaged the past three weeks before this five and a half design runs per game. So there's a reason why Justin Fields is sticking around as a guy that can get you to the fantasy playoffs. If you look at his upcoming schedule now, the Bears go on by in week 14 and then return literally against the two toughest matchups possible, the Bills and the Eagles in the fantasy playoffs. It's going to be rough, but you can absolutely ride fields to that point through week 13. I, I only got to see some highlights of this game, and I do want to focus on fields because there's a lot to talk about in the Dolphins end too. But on that play where he scored that long, was, it must have been the touchdown. It might have been another conversion. There were so many of them where he pump fakes to hold Jerome Baker 55. And That's then the 61-yard run. And then he immediately accelerates and, you know, ruins the defensive backs angles as well. Like putting a, a second level linebacker in a bind. Hayden, you know, this, I, I talk about it way too often with a bunch of these players when they, you know, start making the leap or start progressing a little bit, like the game slowing down for them. It felt like the game was going at warp speed in the early season for Justin Fields, something clicked. It must've been with Luke Getzey changing this offense and allowing him just to play free. And in that type of a game, and that type of a play solely when you pump fake to create space for yourself and maximize it, 
that is the definition of the game slowing down. And I'm so glad that here we are in week 10 and it might be a lost season entirely for the bears, even though, you know, they might be competitive in the NFC, but I'm just so glad that we're here in this moment that we're seeing him progress before our eyes. Yeah. Every single time Justin Fields ran the ball today, it was a successful play uh, according to the analytics. And man, he's just a special, like that was like legit four, three, four, four speed uh, at that second level for that long touchdown. And the offense is just playing to his strengths for the first time. And it seems like, bears history and we're seeing the best of its screens qb design stuff and then that will allow justin fields to become more and more uh comfortable inside the pocket i'm pretty sure he had a pretty up and down game through the air but that's better than it was previously yeah and it's hard not to be very optimistic i think you could probably make a case um that he might be like the best quarterback in the division right now Loads of screens and design passes. You are correct. Uh, got Chase Claypool involved on the very first drive uh, with a screen, the first touch, also a deep shot downfield, and he had a couple deep shots, one that drew DPI in the first quarter and one that they had to come out afterwards. There was lots of press conference noise because the Bears' sideline was not happy on the final fourth down play, thinking that the deep shot that fields through to Claypool, that Claypool was basically mugged downfield. And he kind of was. It, it looked. It, I was very shocked pass interference was not called. But overall, uh, you mentioned the, the schemes for Justin Fields making life easier. His three touchdowns also came on play action. One to just a corner route to Darnell Moody and the other two inside the five-yard line to Cole Komet, just a free Komet up streaking to the right side of the field. So overall, yes, the scheme has absolutely been helping Fields. Um, he actually went seven carries for 111 yards and a touchdown on third down alone today. Pick, picked up six first downs with his legs. So they are clearly finding ways to also move the chains with him. Yeah, and hopefully when defenses have to adjust to those design runs on third down, then hopefully things open up in the passing game too as you know defenses evolve with their own. One of the coolest moments of this weekend too was on one of those outside edge runs. He got to the Dolphins sideline and Mike McDaniel takes off his headset and says, hey, Justin, how about you stop running it? Very cool moment. That'd Very cool moment. And I've already sent an email over to Josh McCown tonight pitching him on the Justin Fields progression as our video for Friday on scheme. So I'm I'm super excited for that. Um, you touched on it, Daigle. Did want to just ask since it's a same face in a new place with Chase Claypool, any idea of how the usage might be from this game and moving forward? Do we get a taste of what Chase Claypool could be in this offense, or was it very minuscule role because he made his debut? They used him pretty much as you thought. Uh, both at the line of scrimmage, as I mentioned, one carry, a screen as well, and a couple of downfield bombs to him in isolation situations. Pretty much going to be a boomer bust player that I think will be hard to start. Same for Darnell Mooney, but at least Mooney got it done with the touchdown today and also a his second most targets in any game all year. With with Chase Claypool, just real quick, it was funny. Uh, Velas Jones, pretty similar player to Chase Claypool. Yeah. They drafted him in the third round, and since they just traded for Chase Claypool, now Velas Jones is a healthy scratch. So, it, like when I was complaining about the kind of the Chase Claypool value for the trade, it's like you don't need Chase Claypool to evaluate Justin Fields. When you have these traits, you are going to be playing him next season too. So, I wish they would have made a, a smarter move in the offseason, but you can see that his offense is progressing in general. And I'm, I'm definitely here for it. And as we discovered on our start sit show, uh, Chase Claypool is actually younger than Velas Jones. This is also the third consecutive game. Justin Fields has finished as a top five quarterback in fantasy. Yeah, and that sounded like a joke. That is legit fact. 
Chase that, Claypool's 24 and yeah, Venus Jones is 25. He's got drafted at 25, of course. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk about the Dolphins because they just keep doing it, man. And we got questions in the morning of, of Sunday, Daigle, about the wind and it was 18 miles an hour, yada, yada. If this was going to impact the Dolphins, maybe it did. But where, again, Tua Tonga Vailoa is continuing to win in that 10 to 20 yard area with a few just beyond it. You can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine receptions that are huge chunk gains. And I don't want to keep repeating the same exact thing, but like the heavy play action, then boom, hitting it over to Tyree kill who lined up purely on the right side with his targets today. I mean, I, I just love that they continue to funnel this, condense it down to these two players and these playmakers. And even when Tua might not have the best throw, these wide receivers make plays for him as well. And the same thing, as we see every single week, Tyreek Hill leads the team in targets, 26.6% target share today. Jalen Waddle second on the team, 23.3% target share. And then the next closest behind their eight and seven targets has just three targets and a couple of mixed players. Uh, this offense runs through two players and everyone else can sprinkle in. Tyreek Hill with 63 receiving yards in the first half actually went over 1,000 receiving yards for the season and now sits over 1,100 receiving yards on the year. We're only through week nine. The biggest takeaway here really besides, you know, Tua, the scheme helping him out certainly was that Je Raheem Mostert led this team in backfield touches in every game since week two. Jeff Wilson's very first game, he outtouches Mostert 12 to 9, also sees more targets than him. Very important. Uh, Mostert did get the goal line run, but Wilson was still in there to get his catch inside the five yard line for a receiving touchdown. What do you think of Jeff Wilson in this offense, too? Because, I mean, it's it's Mike McDaniel. They have history together. Do you think that this is going to – and it's impossible for you to know. I'm putting you in an impossible situation here. But the people want to know, because we've been relying on Raheem Mostert, not with extremely great production, but just knowing that we we're going to get 15 touches out of him, and immediately they split the carries, like you said, down the middle with nine for each, one going for 51 yards and one going for 26 yards. It's McDaniel's dream situation. Right. Uh, I would imagine – Wilson's role maybe grows a little bit, but I really expect it to stay a timeshare throughout the year. Um, we didn't get to talk after this trade, but I mentioned in a couple other shows throughout the week that Miami, 51% of their running back carries came from 21 personnel with Alec Engle in the field. And Jeff Wilson coming over from San Francisco actually had the third most carries in 21 personnel in the league. So you kind of drop him, not only in a familiar situation with Mike McDaniel, but just overall understanding the offense and the way they use running back. So yeah, I would expect the role to grow, but also Mostert as a home run hitter isn't going to go away. If anything, it pretty much caps Mostert's ceiling and also makes Wilson viable weekly. It looks like their snaps, 28 for Jeff Wilson, 26 for Raheem Mostert here. I think Paul will probably be ranking them both around like RB25-ish, RB30, somewhere in that range. And it makes sense that it is just going to be a split backfield because this is what Mike McDaniel wanted from the start. Like, this is why they paid Chase Edmonds and they brought in Raheem Mostert. It just turned out that Chase Edmonds was literally the least efficient running back in the league. And you bring in Jeff Wilson, who was top seven in uh, many of those categories, right? So it goes back to the original plan here. Also something interesting, knowing how often and how fast this team dropbacks backs and plays, uh, two only has taken two sacks in the last three games. Got it. Got it. Uh, Hayden, you want to go to Bill's Jets next? The Buffalo Bills favored by 10 points plus in this game, lose to the New York Jets, 20 to 17. Tell the people how it happened. Well, I think the biggest takeaway here is the Jets' defense is beyond legit. And they were suffering some injuries throughout the game, so I'll have to monitor their statuses, but... Sauce Gardner played an exceptional game today. He's, to me, clearly the best player uh, from this last draft class. And they're getting edge edge uh, pressure right now. And Josh Allen just did not have a good game. He had a couple 
really costly turnovers here. Um, just trying to create too much. He said he couldn't see a defender for a really bad interception. Um, but at the end of the day, it was just like the Jets defense came up. I didn't think that Zach Wilson played that exceptionally. He was mostly mistake uh, free from this game, but there was no- nothing crazy about this offense. I did think Michael Carter ran the ball more effectively this week than he had in the previous couple weeks. And that was setting up some of these scoring drives, but a uh, huge win for the Jets statement win. Uh, the thing to watch for this next week is Josh Allen's injury. Uh, like at the very end of the game kind of gets hit on his throwing arm uh, and it kind of bends backwards as well, but he's, he's had this type of injury before he was able to throw a ball about 75 yards on a dot to Gabe Davis's forehead uh, and in garbage time, a couple plays after. So it doesn't seem like it's gonna be that serious, but it is worth monitoring just because of how good Josh Allen has been. And by the way, even Josh Allen, bad game, uh, two interceptions, took five sacks. He did score two uh, touchdowns on the ground, had a really long 36-yard touchdown, had a, a QB sneak, uh, which is like the go-to play for the Bills at the goal line. So even bad Josh Allen is still an elite fantasy quarterback. Yeah, I think the Bills opened early on with a touchdown drive, and then the Jets' defense really just suffocated them after yep. that. Zach Wilson, 18 of 25, 154, one touchdown. Um, had 24 rushing yards, which I thought there were like third and twos, third and threes that he converted, kind of let loose, climbed out of the front of the pocket rather than drifting back. That was almost the name of the game here. Like this was very much of the same methodology of how the Jets went on their, you know, winning ways before that Patriots game where they were relying on the running game because Michael Carter played a lot better, created yards in his own. The blocking was great. We'll talk about the pass pro in a moment like you just did. And then, you know, a, a lack of turnovers, right? And Zach Wilson did have that fumble inside the red zone where it was supposed to be a quick pass and he held it, drifted left, and Bob Miller got him from behind. But other than that, it was mistake-free. Like, I I couldn't really point to two or three great throws from Zach Wilson, but when your defense was playing like this, when your running game was playing like this, in comparison to the other side, you can win football games. And that's why they're 6-3. and And if they beat the Patriots next week, which if you don't have the turnovers from Zach Wilson last week, then we're off to the races here, I think, for the Jets for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. It's very early, but the coach of the year race, man, is so fun. Uh, between Robert Sala, Brian Dable, Pete Carroll, and what Mike Vrabel's doing with with very little talent at, in Tennessee. For the, for the Jets wide receiver group, just an update. Uh, it was very clear that Garrett Wilson is the guy. Uh, Elijah Moore, 48 routes. He was the third wide receiver in three wide receiver sets, something that the Jets don't do that often. It results in zero targets so nothing schemed up for him like we saw in college um so just really unfortunate for him but they weren't in a situation because the game was tight or they had a lead for for this game they weren't really dropping back to pass all that much so i think just in general michael carter stock up a little bit i thought he looked way more explosive than james robinson they are rotating back and forth uh for for big chunks of the game and then zach wilson as long as he doesn't turn the ball over this offense could be at least okay enough with how good uh this defense is and Garrett Wilson's 36% target share today was a season-high mark. Now has seen seven targets, at least in back-to-back games, without Corey Davis. To the point, the offensive line just smashed for the Jets. You mentioned it in the running game. They were still pulling Dwayne Brown and a few people on the left side. Uh, they only allowed four pressures from this Buffalo Bills passing pass rush unit, which is one of the best in the league. And on defense, the Jets got 17 pressures on Josh Allen, a 39.6 passer rating. Like we've talked about, the stats pointed out, Zach Wilson under rest, although better today, especially like there was another third down near the end zone where they were trying to run kind of the, these rub routes along the sideline. He could have, you know, thrown it and forced something. He ate it instead. When a sack turns into a good thing, that's great. Um, and look, like 
if Zach Wilson starts creating more trust for this team in terms of not making game breaking decisions, then maybe they will allow him to start testing vertically a bit more, you know, like today was not one of those days. He got rid of the ball in 2.31 seconds, the quickest of the day. And he had an intended air yards per temp of about five and a half, which is one of yep. the lowest. So I understand it. Bill's defense is great. They were missing a couple pieces, but like the next step of this is for Zach Wilson to, you know, stack these types of games to create trust. And then boom, we can get Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims down the field a bit more often. Just to round this out, Bill's skill position players, we have Devin Singletary played 74% of the snaps. Naeem, Naeem Hines only played four snaps. He was playing behind James Cook in this one. He was returning kicks, returning punts specifically for Naeem Hines. I'm sure we'll see his role uh, grow a little bit. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, 70% routes, even with Jake Kumaro and some of these other guys back. Dawson Knox, 77% routes. He had some catches out in the flats and score a touchdown here, but... Um, nothing, nothing too crazy. I think that the Devin Singletary stuff will come down. Uh, didn't really make a big day out of his, uh, big workload. Can we just chalk this up to a bad day at the office for Josh Allen? Just a bad performance in general. Yeah. I mean, they're the two costly, uh, turnovers, um, in scoring position and then just a couple miss missed throws. And I just think that this jets defense is, is pretty legit and teams are allowed to have bad games. It just happens. It, it, it probably doesn't matter, but it is. Six consecutive quarters, though, for Allen has been pretty bad. He has not been as good. He's missed some. He's missed some more throws. He's had a couple more of those like Wyoming type of plays this year compared to last year. Like where I would like comfortably say I would rather have Patrick Mahomes over Josh Allen. There was a definitely a segment last year, very beginning of this year, where it was like, okay, this is a, a legit toss up. And I feel part of that is probably the offensive line that he's playing behind this year has a bit more. It's a bit more porous. Than it was last season at times when you know they were the best offense in the league during periods. We will have to break this down. That Josh Allen run, they had their left guard and center both pull out for a lead. It was it was a sick play. Let's go through the Joe Mixon spectacular day of five touchdowns real quick. Um, this game absolutely stunk. All my games stunk today, uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals being the Carolina Panthers 42 to 21. And Joe Mixon, 22 carries, 153 yards, four touchdowns to go along with 58 receiving yards and a score. Uh, I'll just go through the five touchdowns since that was the entire contest. Uh, the first one inside the five-yard line carry, that was a pin-pull toss with Jonah Williams clearing the way out in front of him. Second off-tackle run to the right side. Everyone blocks down. It's about on the two-yard line, three-yard line. It's one-on-one -on -one J.C. Horn, and Joe Mixon runs right through the second-year cornerback. Third, he presses the line forward, veers outside, and once again, number eight overall selection, J.C. Horn, is non-existent on the edge for a two-yard touchdown run. Uh, the fourth with 11 seconds left in the first half. Yes, all four of his first touchdowns were in the first half. It was a third and 10 with the Bengals already up 28 to nothing. It was empty. He was set wide right. Joe Burrow escapes out of the pocket. Mixon works back to him with a toe-tapping touchdown along the right sideline. And the fifth one, very much overkill. He pressed the middle, veers outside, 15-yard touchdown, and once again, J.C. Horn, the former number eight overall pick, does not hold his edge and allows him to escape it. And boom, there's a score. One of the best fantasy performances we have ever seen. Sure, you can even say that the five touchdowns were enough. But even more than that, it was a chunk gains that he was creating in between the 20s as well. Whereas the Bengals absolutely stunk offensive line-wise against the Cleveland Browns. It was all pure and was so good running so hot in this game against Carolina. It was over from a halftime on.
Mixon was only the sixth player in the Super Bowl area era with 200 scrimmage yards and five touchdowns in a single game. Uh, everyone probably looks at the passing game and asks, well, Joe Burrow did nothing despite the Bengals putting up 45 points. Uh, that's because, one, they didn't need him to. And two, 75% of his pass attempts were less than 10 air yards today, uh, basically just keeping it close to the line of scrimmage and letting Mixon work. And three, he was taken out uh, halfway through the third quarter. That's true. Too. That's when the Panthers scored 21 points. Uh, and four, Mayfield. like you said, when your running back scores five touchdowns, you don't really need that from your quarterback at all. We'll say to open this game, it was still that same shotgun-based offense, and they were picking apart C.J. Henderson, the other corner on the opposite end, where he was getting bodied by T. Higgins, getting bodied by Tyler Boyd. Um, I think we can firmly say that there's been, of the last four games, three really good ones from the Bengals offense and one really bad one. So I don't want to focus too much on that contest against the Browns. Like we just said about the Bills, offenses can have bad days out there, and that one was probably their worst matchup of the season. Coming into this game, Joe Mixon had the uh, worst uh, fantasy points over expected. He, he was averaging five fewer points than what my model thought he was going to be scoring. Uh, I think it's safe to say that he is no longer a positive regression candidate. Mm. And Tyler Boyd was an inch away from a touchdown too in front of the left pylon. So, you know, still getting involved there. That means, again, when you score 21 points in the second half after already down 35 to nothing at halftime, it's pointless for the Panthers. They benched P.J. Walker, who was horrific in this game. Uh, Baker Mayfield comes in, throws a lob touchdown pass to Terrace Marshall in one-on-one -on -one coverage, who goes up and gets it. And it even looked like D.J. Moore, who shows zero emotion, uh, was getting heated at P.J. Walker on the sideline at times. Uh, not like confrontational per se, but like you could just tell he, the frustration was boiling over. And yeah, even when you're so down in negative game script, that's why, you know, someone like Deontay Foreman, who has smashed for us over the last few weeks, seven carries for 23 yards with a long run of six. And I believe zero catches for him as well. No Chidobe Awuzie, no Mike Hilton, no DJ Reader. I played the over on PJ Walker, 187 passing yards and underdog pick him. He ends his day with nine freaking yards. Yep. That's the name of the do game. Do you think it doesn't matter really, but do you think they go back to Baker Mayfield next week? Probably. I mean, it's it. This is how the season should play out though. If we're being honest with ourselves, like, Losing last week to the Falcons in the long run is the best avenue for this, especially for a team that, you know, didn't trade Brian Burns, didn't trade DJ Moore for all these first and second round picks that were floating around. Like losing the rest of the way is the best approach for the Panthers. I don't want to keep bringing it up. I am on the case of JC Horn, like with Justin Fields emerging right now with him going ahead of Patrick Sertan, like there was a second and 11 where he played eight yards off, allowed T Higgins just to stop right at the line and didn't contact him until it was a 13 yard gain. That's some bad juju. I understand he's playing with a rib injury, but like the young stud corner that you drafted him as over Micah Parsons as well. Like you got to play better, man. DJ Moore also had previously not played a game with Baker Mayfield and without Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey. So at least the target share will still probably be safe, but he was seeing a significantly higher rate of accurate targets from PJ Walker. Uh, so we'll have to see from Mayfield moving forward, what this does to his fantasy stock. Seahawks at Cardinals, Hayden Winks. Seahawks win 31 to 21, improved to six and three on the season. If there was any doubt that Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and even Noah Fant today were for real. 
this team is for real. It's so ridiculous to watch Geno Smith. I think you can make an argument that he is the most accurate quarterback in the league right now. Uh, he's another game with plus 7.3 completion percentage over expected, which takes like how far your passes are thrown and how often you are converting those. Uh, and man, he what he did today, which was new, is was going through all this read, which is not new. He's been doing that. He's been progressing basically as good as anybody in the league. But he was hitting the checkdown uh, options this week. His A dot was way, way, way down, like at two or three yards downfield. But they were all the right reads, and they were getting a bunch of yards after a catch ability. He's really just seeing the field. He's scrambling when he needed to scramble. Um, and then Kenneth Walker at the end of the game, the game was pretty close. And then it was just a couple big, big boy drives from Kenneth Kenneth Walker, who is just so hard to tackle. And it's it's a lot of there was a couple of plays where he was completely stopped at the line of scrimmage. This was pretty reminiscent of his days at like Wake Forest, where he was like really patient, like kind of just like who is this kid? Uh, patient and is just. He's an incredible player. I think that he you can already make an argument that he's like a top five real life NFL running back right now. And he's there's more to come, like you tweeted out, Josh. The he's catching some passes out in the flats. And that's that's something new. And you can tell that Kenneth Walker, he is still pretty inexperienced in general. He was an early declare and his first couple of years at Wake Forest. That was a completely wacky offense. You can still see that he's getting a, a he's trying to get a better feel for where to be in the check down game. There's one pick six. Uh, that was kind of a, a little screen toss to Kenneth Walker. And I'm not sure if that was his fault or if that was Gina Smith's fault. Um, but once he figures that stuff out, it is like beyond go time. And his numbers already are absolutely ridiculous. And you can tell that there is still another phase or two for him to get even better. So right now the Seahawks are legit. This rookie class is phenomenal. Tackle play, uh, Tariq Wollin, Kenneth Walker. Then they hit the jackpot with Gina Smith is a very intriguing team. I think they're a legit uh, team that can probably get a win in the wild card round. Daigle, talk us through the Kenneth Walker numbers because you tweeted them out over his last four starts uh, since Rashad Penny went down because it really illustrates maybe the focus too much on, hey, split backfields during draft season and then maybe that overanalyzing when such a significant talent and then underestimating just how great this obviously Seahawks offense could be. Anyways, that was a lot of words to buy you some time just to show how much Kenneth Walker has blossomed here in the last four games. And it's also to remember that pockets are more important than anything in fantasy football, because remember those first three games, which now we forget about the Seahawks were averaging 47 plays per game. Like they changed every, so Ken Walker actually in shallow leagues was not worth holding as a contingency player after the first three games. Cause you knew that even if he got the touches, it may not matter, but then they became an up-tempo offense uh, that passed the ball and gave themselves room to run. And now we've seen in his four starts for Rashad Penny Walker has rushed for 97 yards and a touchdown, 167 yards and two touchdowns, 51 yards and a touchdown. And today 109 yards and two touchdowns, at least 18 carries in all four of those games. Um, He's a workhorse, and he is a little boomer bust since he is getting hit at the line of scrimmage so often. But when you're also rattling off like the highest rate of 10 plus yard runs only to Nick Chubb and Tony Pollard basically this past month, um, it's okay because you're boom for a much greater rate of time than a lot of other NFL running backs who may also run to their center. So yeah, Walker's been incredible. Two notes. Uh, he had three total receptions his first year at Wake Forest. He had three total receptions his second season at Wake Forest. He had three receptions today. So this is just another example of one of those running back prospects where you have to separate, was he asked to do this or he can't do it? Because I think a lot of the thought of Kenneth Walker is not going to be a, an element in this passing game 
um, has been busted a little bit. Cause I think, like you said, Hayden, it, it is growing, you know, just because this is what coaching does. This is why people get paid to coach other part love that we've seen this side of Gino where it's different than the first few seasons of his career that since he threw the pick six to Zayvon Collins, he led three straight touchdown drives three. In fact, they had seven straight third down conversions on those final two touchdown drives. So he is able to eliminate that thought in his head, that bad play in his head, that bad throw in his head and move on from there. And it's to me why this team remains so real along with the defense really evolving. I mean, Tariq Willen, these inside breaking routes, he's so long. And then, you know, they're adding these pass rushers up front too that are are progressing. It's a, it's a fun team to watch and it helps Hayden when the Cardinal center, Billy Price, almost is playing for you at times. A couple of really bad snaps from him. Uh, the interior, it's not just the center too. The guard play hasn't been good this year as well. Kyler Murray, there was a time where he was yelling at DeAndre Hopkins. So somebody's going to be yelling at somebody on the sidelines every single time. Great note from the broadcast booth at the end of the game. There's four false starts from the Cardinals at home, uh, <laughs> including one of them with Robbie Anderson, who didn't know where to line up. That actually cost DeAndre Hopkins a touchdown late in the game. Uh, there was some tweaks to the offense in general. They went from two wide receiver sets to a lot of three wide receiver sets. Robbie Anderson's route participation went way up. He did nothing. He had a drop. He had that penalty that I talked about. Was not. He's just so small out there. Whenever they get James Conner out in space, Robbie Anderson's probably missing a block there as well. So um, that didn't really deter uh, Rondell Moore from getting all these underneath targets, even though that uh, Robbie Anderson was playing more. Uh, I think my final note here was James Conner, I thought looked pretty good. And I think because he had a, a rib injury, he had a lot of time to rest his legs. He looked fresh. There was no issues with the ribs or anything like that. They got him out in space. He caught a couple of passes here. He played his normal amount uh, of snaps uh, this week as well, up to 74%. That can get him back into the upside RB2 conversation. He didn't score a touchdown this game, but the rest of the metrics, and I thought the eye test looked pretty promising for him. You know, Benjamin is going to play just a couple snaps at the expense of James Conner. Rondell Moore also back in the slot as he was last week, 45 of 61 routes today from there. And we've seen now these past two games, 18 targets. Whereas remember three weeks ago, Hopkins first game where they threw Rondell on the boundary. He only had two targets for a 6.8% share. So still the high, a very high floor, as long as he continues playing for the slot, which is good because as Hayden mentioned today, Robbie Anderson got more involved and Rondell stayed in the higher impact role. I think part of the reason why Rondell is going to be like have some of that volume is the defense. Like you said, Josh, it's, it's so just bad. not good. Yeah. Also, or, or, uh, or bad in general. I mean, they're three and six offensively. They can still put up points and that's what we want in these second halves. I did see that Deandre Hopkins after the first drive total, just two catches for eight yards, had that touchdown called back in the fourth quarter. And then literally because Robbie Anderson falls started on the other side of the field. And then literally the next play, Kyler throws a touchdown to Zach Hurts instead. Yep. Yeah, that's rough. The that's tilt. Rough. The Detroit Lions improved to yes, two and six, and beat the Green Bay Packers falling to three and six. Okay. The Lions entered week nine, Daigle, with a 32nd ranked passing defense according to DVOA, the 30th ranked run defense according to DVOA, and the Green Bay Packers could only put nine points on them. How? How? This offense sucks. It's completely broken. Um, also Lions had allowed 36 points per game at home this year. And then Rogers goes and averages 6.7 yards per attempt and zero offensive touchdowns for the Packers today. Since 2020, Aaron Rodgers had only thrown two interceptions inside the red zone Two today, 
all three of his interceptions came inside the red zone and inside the five-yard line. One, his first one, I don't really blame him. Hit the helmet of a Lions front seven player, uh, bounced up, they picked it off. Otherwise, the other two, awful throws. Also suffered so many injuries throughout this game. Robert Tunyon banged up in the second half. Uh, Romeo Dobbs injured, uh, had to get help onto a cart, left in a boot after the game in the first quarter. And then Aaron Jones also seen the boot and limping around the locker room uh, after the game as well. So this Packers team is broken and they're dealing with so many injuries. Basically the only consistent player is Alan Lazard who returns, sees 10 targets yet again. Remember he was averaging um, at least eight targets per game and his only full games he played since returning from injury this year. So at least that's been consistent. Otherwise there's absolutely nothing here. Almazar's playing well, man. That guy, that is yeah. the the bright spot. He's, I mean, he's winning man coverage. I see him contest the catches. I don't know how he didn't score that one touchdown uh, where he got tackled out the one yard line. But yeah, I think we can basically stick a fork um, in the Packers at this point. They're they're four they're four losses behind the Minnesota Vikings. I think the Vikings team looks pretty good. I want to just like turn the attention to this Aaron Rodgers contract. It is absurd, absurd. I mean, they're going to have to be paying him. If he decides to retire or something crazy, um, I mean, they're on the books for like $50 million. Like next year, uh, he would have $99 million in dead money. Obviously, they're not going to cut him or anything like that. But this contract has really ballooned. And his, I'm not sure if he's checked out. I don't know what it is, but he has not been the same player at all. This is like decision-making. This is accuracy. This is this is the full tilt. I thought this phrase, and sure, we can dig into quotes as much as we want to. But from Aaron Rodgers after the game, Quote, I, I mean, I played like shit, but I never gave up. Obviously, I didn't want to lead us in rushing, but I made some plays with my legs. Quote, I thought we moved the ball well in the first half, but I threw a couple of picks in the end zone, took points off the board. Uh, I'm going to read into this and say the fact that he mentions leading this team in rushing before mentioning the three interceptions perfectly encapsulate who Aaron Rodgers is this season, you know, and when your interceptions are at the one yard line, the five yard line and the 22 yard line, you just got to play better. You know, like I understand it's not perfect. There's been offensive line, you know, turnstile so far this season that you have a bunch of rookies and just Al Lazard out there catching passes, but enough's enough, you know, like he he's just, he's awful this year. Justice Mosqueda pointed this out. It has been 321, not, or excuse me, 329 days since Aaron Rodgers' last 300-yard passing game. Jesus. That's terrible. What are we... Right, you, what are we I think I'll ask, ask you, if if Aaron Jones is out, obviously that, that's our security blanket. We should not expect the Packers to be able to move the ball very much. Where where would we rank A.J. Dillon, who's been struggling, but like today he played 49 of the 74. I mean, you have to rank him as like a, a somewhere around like RB15 or something like that. I mean, he's going to be playing... 60% of the snap. I was thinking mid to low end RB2, touch based option. That's it. Uh, not sexy, but I'd still take it. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, a lot of people, like I would hope, have gotten off of him by now. Maybe they kept him around for this game, but to be the QB 14 today with Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Andy Dalton still to go um, in primetime games, just, I mean, just you have to, you have to move on. Like no more, no more holding on for name value. I'd say AJ Dillon was probably my worst in season call. You know, I think we can all hit home runs and strike out during the offseason. But in season, I did get excited after that week one, you know, when it looked like he was going to own the backfield over Aaron Jones. Uh, no one has. No one's been good at anything so far this season. But A.J. Dillon just, he's not getting 
touches inside the 10 yard line. And um, he just is ceding less work to the more explosive Aaron Jones at this point. You know, this, this was against the Lions. I know it's that's that's why I led with that. The mentions of where they ranked every team's get right spot is against the Lions. And still the Packers cannot do it. It's nuts. So nuts. So stuff. Anything on right. the Lions end at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We haven't even talked about the Lions. Not really, to be honest. Uh, we saw a three-headed committee at tight end in place of T.G. Hawkinson. Uh, Shane Ziltra added to the active roster. He catches a touchdown. James Mitchell catches a touchdown. Brock Wright also involved once he was cleared from concussion protocol on Saturday. And then just a Monroe St. Brown's world, and we're living it. The team high nine targets yet again, of course, for this team. Uh, the results weren't there. And then DeAndre Swift averaged 10 yards per touch. Five touches for 50 yards, but only played nine snaps. Uh, explosive, but very clearly still limited and hobbled. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers somehow topped the Los Angeles Rams 16 to 13. And the loser gets shipped off to the retirement home match uh, with the Rams dropping to three and five. And somehow the Bucs improving to four and five on the season. The whole point of this game was the final drive that I guess you can say Tom Brady, quote unquote, orchestrated um, prevent defense bucks go out there. The first pass to Kate Otten in the intermediate area for 28 yards. Beautiful spike next pass. Leonard Fournette, get out of bounds. Next pass is Scotty Miller for 14 yards along the sideline. Next pass is seven yards. Then you get a Mike Evans penalty in the end zone to the, get to the one yard line, which again, Kate Otten emerges and catches that for the score. Before that, really the Bucs should have taken the lead on the previous drive when Scotty Miller, as Hayden eloquently puts, allowed the pass to hit his forehead and drop to the ground instead of scoring. But overall, I was no more positive about either of these offenses exiting as I entered. And I had hoped heading into this game that something and one of these teams would turn a corner whether it be what the Rams, I believe coming out of a buy, if that's correctly, or the bucks, you know, gelling with their offensive line and, you know, ill time turnovers and drop passes would write themselves and they would, you know, ride off into the sunset for the rest of the season. Nope, nothing. The bucks still are running way too much on first down. The Rams still can't protect. They're still switching their left tackles. Their backfield is still a mess. And the only avenues where they had success today, the Rams was a long Cooper cup touchdown where he ran down the seam with two seam routes uh, on either side. Matthew Stafford looked off the left side, hit him on the right side for a long touchdown. And other than that, and another over route, the rest was pitiful from the Rams. So I'm not even any more excited about either of these teams moving forward. I think for the Rams, it's easy. It's just Cooper cup. Tyler Higby has done nothing recently and the running back rotation is only going to get worse when Kyron Williams comes back. So I think that the, the Rams are a pretty straightforward team. The Buccaneers though, I'm I'm so tilted about the Chris Godwin stuff. I mean, he had 3.6 yards per target. I don't know when he decided to turn into Deontay Johnson, but that's what we're getting from him. It's like all this empty calorie targets. I don't know what to do with him. He's absolutely getting dunked on by my model, which is super sad to see. I think that eventually that will flip. And then with the Leonard Fournette stuff, uh, 9% success rate on his carries uh, for negative seven EPA. What's okay. How this backfield was utilized today. So Leonard Fournette obviously gets the start. And then Keyshawn Vaughn is the next running back to get a touch in this game. Then Rashad White comes in for like an entire series by himself. And then they go to the sideline. And the reporter says that 
Rashad White turned to Leonard Fournette and said, hey, buddy, I'm out. They need you in there. And so he like replaced himself and substituted himself out to get Leonard Fournette back in the game. And like there were some important, let's say, third down conversions that Leonard Fournette caught or something to sustain drives. But man, like Byron Leftwich isn't fixing this. It's going downhill real quick. And even like, I'm not saying Brady's good, but it's also the other people letting him down. The Scotty Miller drops. There have been Mike Evans drops. You know, Chris Godwin's been really inefficient. Uh, Prashad Perryman. No, no, it was Tyler Johnson who had to drop here today too. Like, it's exhausting watching this team because you can just see Brady and you can just tell that it's going to get so frustrating from him and like this ominous figure on the sideline. Yet it doesn't immediately get better on the next drive at all. The, the one thing for for these bucks though and like I, I i did i did want them to win this just because i find them interesting um just to see if they're going to be able to overcome this they are in first place in the nfc south yeah you know right and it's like you know the seahawks the browns the saints coming up for them and they should they are by far and away even with all the negatives that we're saying daigle they are by far and away the best team in the nfc south but even on both sides of the ball questions remain when you consider that this team was all in for the 2022 season, they wanted to bring all the dudes back, and it's so much worse than it was last year. And they want to run the ball. They clearly cannot. And having a league low yards before contact uh, per attempt. And then to your point, Chris Godwin, yes, Hayden, five and a half yards per target now the last month, even though he's averaging double-digit targets in that span. If anything, I think that running back rotation with Rashad White and Keyshawn Vaughn also getting involved Still keeps Leonard Fournette's floor high as a receiving back, but there is no ceiling. Like as long as someone else is getting any amount of touches in this offense, there's no ceiling for anyone here. And it it really showcases who the Rams are right now when you have Cooper Cup at eight receptions, 127 yards in a score. And the next closest is Allen Robinson at 24 yards, which was like a couple of third and short conversions that he had. I will say there was a two-play sequence where Daryl Henderson racked up about 36 yards in those two runs that looked like the best two-play sequence of any Rams running back all season long. Um, Cam Makers came in for like a series to start, I think, the second quarter and one in the third quarter and only gained three yards on five carries. <laughs> you can, this, I mean, it's a broken offense completely. Tyler, Tyler Higby also three consecutive games having not eclipsed 15 receiving yards. Um, all right. Hayden, we'll kick it over to you with the Washington Commanders and the Minnesota Vikings, Uh, a game which I forgot to mention heading into it. Kirk Cousins returning to somewhat of a Dan Snyder-led team for now and winning 20-17 to with some last quarter heroics. Kirk Cousins after the game had the best highlights. Uh, he first of all up. broke the broke the huddle um, or the the team meeting after the game with "You like that as a team," and then on the the flight home, rocking the the chains shirtless. He's he's low key pretty jacked. Uh, but that team has great vibes right now. I'm talking about a team that had some terrible vibes last year. This team low key has a lot of great vibes. Uh, I didn't mean that he played all that well. Um, the the first. Uh, drive was all Justin Jefferson back shoulders contested catches he had a, a downfield catch um from the slot that Kirk Cousins really had to stand in there take a big hit um, I think the big surprise here was TJ Hawkinson how uh, seamless this transition was he played 91% snaps he ran a route on 86% of the dropbacks this team is like they're not elite anywhere really 
but they got they got like a above average kind of across the board and they got the right vibes right now i kind of like these the, uh these minnesota Vikings. let's be honest if i tried this i would look the exact same way so i'm not giggling i'm not oh, no, laughing he, at lit. him i'm laughing with him you know he he's, he didn't gritty yo he's cooler give... than russ he's cooler than russ oh by far it's yeah. not even close I, as I like long as he this. as long as he didn't gritty like everyone else tries to do we're okay that's fine um dg hawkinson i saw some cool plays where he was kind of being used in tandem with, especially in that Dalvin Cook touchdown, TJ Hawkinson split out from the formation, hit the in route. I think it was Dalvin almost on a wheel for that game winning score. Uh, he was heavily featured, heavily featured in his debut. Yeah, they traded for him. They have a distinct plan for for him. Like you said, like the Irv Smith was an incomplete tight end, TJ Hawkinson, uh, he, he is a complete tight end. We, we don't know how elite of a ceiling he could have but it seems like they this offense is very serious about using him this i mean this team's like got a lot of good good talent on the on the other, other side of the ball um the commanders it was it was mostly a joke out there um taylor heineke 16 percentile completion percentage over expected one of the most ludicrous plays of the the week uh probably the most ludicrous play of the week was a triple coverage prayer to so, Curtis part Daniel. of the third quarter right so i looked up at this play and I thought it was the end of the half. Same. Uh, I was like, oh, end of half. Okay. You throw it. Curtis Samuel caught, catches a 49 yard pass, falls down, rolls into the end zone. It's okay. It's in triple coverage. No big deal. It was at the 14 minute mark of the third quarter. Uh, it was absolutely insane that any NFL quarterback would make that yeah. throw, so let alone be completed. Taylor Heineke is making this throw to open the third quarter when you have 22 and 20 uh, and seven bracketing Curtis Samuel on a vertical route with 24 working over the top as another corner slash safety to make this triple coverage, the pass is thrown. And what happens is 24 who, as you can see, should be perfectly placed to like convert this ball runs into the referee. Where are the ref dots? Part of the field and falls down. And somehow Kurt Co comes down with it. Falls on the ground, then gets up and scores a touchdown. One of the more unreal plays of the season, as you said. You, yeah, I'm sure everyone's watched it, but you have to go find it. The dots do not do justice unless we're getting some ref dots, which I don't think Next Gen Stats has. If you remove that touchdown, which I think we should all should remove that touchdown, uh, Heineke had negative 13 EPA today. So he had he had he had a nice spin move that got the highlights going. Very fun play, but this offense is is completely unwatchable for the running backs. Uh, Antonio Gibson 57 percent of snap snaps. He played more of the passing downs. Brian Robinson, 44% of the snaps. But this team, I just don't think, should be projected for that many points uh, each week with, with Taylor Heineke out there. They were, like, the, the fans were, like, chanting Taylor Heineke, though. They seemed to like him. Um, but it's I don't like it. It's 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 not, a, it's not a good look. It just really uh, isn't. Terry McLaurin has now averaged a 27% target share in his last three games from Heineke as well. Uh, talk me through the JD McKissick let or less backfield. I should say, is it because we saw 13 carries for B Rob 11 carries for Antonio Gibson. You'd think that there'd be more targets and receptions for Gibson. And in turn, it's two receptions on 11 yards. Yeah. I mean, it's like a 60, 40 split. We'll see how, how much longer McKissick is out, but like a perfect play. Um, like why Taylor Heineke at quarterbacks, like just not good for any, anybody. Maybe you can make the argument for Terry McLaurin because he locks onto him. There was a third and nine. And the commanders ran a quarterback draw, which got absolutely just stuffed. And like you, you third and nine, you need targets, you know, like you can't have Taylor Heineke scrambling around here. So, um, this, yeah, it's just an un, unserious franchise, unserious offense right now. And that's just the way it goes. I, I thought there was one play. This might be unfair. That shows Adam Thielen's 
decline in terms of his age. Like there was one snap where I thought he could maybe break away for like a 36 yard touchdown and said he gets shoestring tackled, almost fumbles at the end of it. And it just shows like how different a player is at like 26 versus 31 or whatever. There's like a a, a slot fade that kind of was just out of reach. He didn't make a great diving play kind of wide open on like a way deep crossing route. Um, So yeah, I I think like the Vikings, deserve a slightly more respect everyone's just like oh they're not like a legit team we're talking about the nfc or nfc this year i I think that they're they're in the mix squarely for as for as much as they were stumbling for most of that game uh cousins fourth quarter was incredible that 40 yard ball he uncorked to justin jefferson and then that route he genuinely couldn't have walked over to dalvin cook and placed it in the back of the corner of the end zone better than he threw it it was an amazing touchdown before you all getting out of here for sunday night football be sure to leave a thumbs up hit that subscribe button. You know we've got content for you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, even sometimes Saturday. Hit it, smash it, join us. Thanks for making it with 32,000 subscribers. Okay, let's go on over to the, uh, I had a brutal draft. New England Patriots, 26, Indianapolis Colts, three. Um, let's start with the positives. The Patriots defense sacked Sam Ellinger nine times for 60 yards. Uh, their special teams was fantastic with a punt block for a near touchdown and also a great kick return or punt return, I should say. However, I don't think we should allow this victory 26 to three. And then last week's victory over the jets, which was again, great defense and special teams to mask that this Patriots passing game continues to be awful. Uh, they do not have anything that is sticky from a concept or success standpoint week by week, game by game, heck, even series to series. I don't know what their identity is right now in the passing game because there were still too often where on, let's say, a third and seven plus, it's not there, the primary, and Mac tucks it and tries to run it or just goes down for a sack. Um, they rotated out Cole Strange at left guard, their first round pick with Isaiah Wynn. And the only thing that, again, brings them juice offensively is Ramondre Stevenson. 15 carries for 60 yards might not sound like a lot, but there were a few you know, significant plays that he brought to the table uh, that are hidden in there, including a one-hand stab touchdown grab. And then Hunter Henry had one catch for 30 yards, basically that made up 50 of his yards um, that went down the seam. Uh, if they were playing a quarterback that was somewhat competent, because uh, Sam Ellinger is not an NFL quarterback. Like I understand that this experiment from probably was top down from Jim Ursay, but they opened punt, 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 block, punt, punt, um, 22 plays for 20 net yards and four sacks. Uh, the last drive, which was 44 yards was ended in with a missed field goal. Uh, Sam Ellinger cannot play in this league. And I think that we have some that up here. I know it's Steve. I know it's bill. It's a tough defense. But it's just pure incompetence putting him out there. And I understand it's because of tanking. It's still unwatchable football. Ellinger completed his first pass of the game with 7.30 left in the second quarter. Uh, And as you mentioned, the Patriots, 200 yards of offense, 3.3 yards per play. Abysmal, but it doesn't matter when you're playing literally the worst offense in the league today. I mean, they went 0 for 11 on third third downs to start this game, the Colts did. And six of those 11 drives uh, ended on sacks. Uh, they've rotated Matt Pryor at like every single starting spot this game, and then they finally just put him on the bench. Um, they've yeah, they've they've trailed at halftime for eleven consecutive games now. The Colts and like if he's playing that poorly, 
Then Michael Pittman can't get there for 22 yards. Alec Pierce had one broken play for 23 yards along the right sideline. And then everyone jumped on the horse of Deion Jackson. Got to put him in my lineup. Just the questions on Sunday of week nine were unbearable this morning. And he's just a fine talent, an average talent. And if he's not getting peppered on these short passes like he was with Matt Ryan, then the avenue for success there is not going to work. And I'm even very concerned unless we get super crazy efficient Jonathan Taylor, like we saw last year on these runs, then he's even going to be a middling running back too when he comes back. And that's probably the the path that we're running down the rest of the way for the rest of the season. Uh, they've also, the past two games, been slower. They've averaged 57 plays these past two weeks with Ellinger compared to 70 the three weeks prior. And you know why? It's because they know he sucks. They know that they want to let the clock run and they don't want the quarterback to be out there as often with Matt Ryan, at least was tempo and let's get the ball out of his hands. Like if they were actually trying to win games, Matt Ryan would be the quarterback. It's really that simple. Yeah. They're tanking. He averaged 1.1 yards per drop back today. This is like a, a obvious tank job. And we don't have to play the contrarian thing that this is like, like they're just tanking. It's as simple as that. And they, they yeah, probably should. I, you know, it probably would not return you as much as it should. But to your point, Josh, I do think you're probably trying to get off Jonathan Taylor in season long right now. I'm also really nervous about the Patriots. Like this is the thin ledge to walk down, you know, playing this way. And maybe something turns, but, and we keep saying it, their passing offense is just so much worse than it was last year. So much worse. Um, The best play of the day, other than that, Hunter Henry down the seam was like a Janu Smith screen behind the line of scrimmage that he ran for. Uh, coming up for them, it's the Jets once again next week, which I think that could go in the complete opposite direction. Then it's the Vikings, the Bills in the next two weeks after that. So it's it's very likely that they go five and seven. Um, and then they're they're looking at a a rough rest of the season because the offense has just given me no hope at all, other than Ramondre, who still looks great. I'm still tilting. I had some hires on Ramondre receiving receiving yards, and he had seven targets and it went lower. Uh, I had hires at 14.85 fantasy points and he hit 14 and that was the one that missed the square that missed. Um, I think we have covered all of our games except for one more, which is John Daigle's Los Angeles chargers and Atlanta Falcons. Daigle one running team with Cordero Patterson, getting it back seemed to have a nice hold on this game, but end up losing. 20 to 17 to the Los Angeles Chargers, who had no one at wide receiver other than Joshua Palmer and DeAndre Carter. Falcons entered the day allowing a league high 288 passing yards per game. Justin Herbert finishes with 244, one touchdown, and 5.8 yards per attempt. The Chargers totaled 16 yards in the first quarter. Justin Herbert's first attempt of more than five yards in the air came on third and 15 with 12 minutes remaining in the second quarter. It was an absolutely abysmal start uh having said that things still got going with josh palmer season high, or a team high 23 percent target share today 10 targets in his first game without both keenan allen and mike williams eckler also now has scored in five consecutive games and has totaled 10 touchdowns in his last five games and lots of mistakes uh even palmer today one of or herbert's only interception was literally just a a bobbled pass and it went into the defender's hands. Everett had a 20-yard drop. Everett's good for one drop per week, but still made a couple explosive plays. Uh, they almost, the Chargers, gave this one away after a wild 
play that was very Chargers and fumbling in the fourth quarter, but then in being the Falcons, they fumbled the ball back to the Chargers because no one wants to win, and that's really what helped the Chargers seal the game in the end. Uh, Herbert did deliver to Palmer a 22-yard strike with 22 seconds remaining to really set the Chargers up in game-winning field goal territory. But other than that, the Falcons did what they wanted to do in running the ball, and the Chargers, with a six-and-a-half depth of target from Herbert, did what they want to do and not be explosive. Big question. Mike Williams will come back at some point. Keen Allen will come back, hopefully, at some point. Did Josh Palmer show enough as like an individual talent where you like believe in him as a flex operator? Or was this Falcon signed DBs off the street? There's literally no one else to throw it to. And the best we get from Josh Palmer is a respectable eight receptions for 106 yards. He has friendly games coming up. Not so much uh, next week against the 49ers, but up-tempo against the Chiefs, Cardinals, Raiders, Miami, and Titans the rest of the way through the fantasy playoffs. So favorable matchups, honestly, for Josh Palmer, who we're expecting to be the team's number one receiver for the next four to six weeks. I don't know what to do with Keenan Allen. I have no idea. Mike Williams, the timeline is four to six weeks. And then since the high ankle sprain, we'll actually see if he's even effective and if he's a full-time player when he comes back. And so, yeah, I, I would be, you know, wherever Palmer's available, probably not anymore, but... If Palmer's still out there, sure, a flex option for the next month at least. I I, I view him higher than that, Mitchell. Sure, let's yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, wide receiver two three. Yeah, I mean, look, we have him up in the summer, Hayden. We get to you know take a victory lap here in week nine. A touchdown <laughs> would have been nice today. But... Touchdown would have been nice. And... Uh, I, I'm almost more interested in the Falcons into this because, man, the Chargers are kind of stale to be honest with you. Um, I know that the Falcons had 35 carries for 201 yards and two scores. Both of those scores go to CPAT. Was he checking in in goal line situations? Were they like, hey, you've been on injured reserve. Let's get you involved. Or what was like the distribution between him and Tyler Algier? Because even, you know, 10, 13, 7, and then 5 carries between the three backs and the quarterback here. There was a fucking report that Cordero Patterson would yeah. be limited this morning. Garofolo, shot him out. Off him in DFS, and Patterson was... So limited that he led the team in carries with 13. And it was an insider off, by the way. Garofolo said that. And then Jay Glazer on Fox said that they're going to let him loose. I'd like to moderate this because he did only play 24 snaps out of the 36 snaps. They just did happen to be explosive plays from CPAT. So I think I, what I did, I had him as my like RB18. I moved him down to like RB22 after the report, which I felt was appropriate. He got very lucky for where those touches are. Um, but this is like uh, classic Charger. I mean, Chargers defense plus CPAT and this explosive offense. It's not a surprise that he was very efficient on that. I mean, literally the first play, they put him out wide and threw a screen to him. The very first play of the game. Uh, and then he gets right back in. He gets three carries and the goal line touchdown on that opening drive. Two touchdowns in this game. Had a 50-yard touchdown run called back for holding. Now... I don't want to, I don't want to account for that touchdown because that's cheating and I hate when people do that in fantasy and say oh like regression because he cheated. No, don't care about the touchdown. I make that point because he exploded for that run. He looks great. So yes, 36% of snaps, but when you're jam 14 touches on 36% of snaps, that's a big difference. That's not fucking limited. Let's go, Eagle. <laughs> Love it. Love that. Uh Cal Pitts missed for a long touchdown. <laughs> 430 remaining in the game. Hate it. Tied <laughs> tied 17 all. Pitts gets open on a play action beyond two defenders deep and Mariota overthrows him by a mile. Uh, 
<laughs> also, also an end, a deep end zone target. It's over his defender. So close. Missed, missed him by fingertips. So it's just the same story every single week. You can you can note Kyle Pitts' target share. You can note his routes run. Doesn't matter. Uh, you need you need to get lucky to get there. You, you might have had this, and this can be our close for this game. Um, Isaiah Spiller's missed a ton of time this season. He was drafted highly by this team, yet he clearly is a second leader in carries. Um, does this? ascend him to the top of some running back insurance looks that we might look at now that like the season is on the back end. Josh Kelly well, should be coming back some sometime soon. Sonny Michelle had a brutal drop. He, he he's just not good right now. So it, it is, it is notable that the backup role switched, as you mentioned, after the buy. So they come back from their buy and rather than the Sony Michelle, who before the buy, remember had uh two carries and was the backup running back to Eckler this game, Isaiah Spiller, seven carries to Eckler's 14. So yes, that role switched. But when Josh Kelly comes back, he was doing such a good job as their backup. I, I bet he does go back into that role. Onto games. We have not watched Jaguars and Raiders uh, because we did not watch it. Apparently Trevor Lawrence balled the fuck out. Uh, 25 of 31 for 235 yards and a score to go along with 53 That's rushing falling yards. out. It is when you consider that there's nothing vertical to their game. And it is when you consider Hayden, that it was a 17 point deficit that they were in, that they had to crawl out from here. To me, that is a huge signifier and a huge moment in the Jaguars season. Look, they're not going anywhere. They're three and six, but it was very few mistakes, zero sacks taken. Zero interceptions, zero fumbles for Trevor Lawrence. That is huge. That's huge. The Raiders were up 20-0 against the Cardinals this year. Lost that game. They were up 17-0 against the Chiefs this year. Lost that game. They were up 17-0 against the Jaguars today and got outscored 27-3 for the rest of the game to lose this one. And now the 2-6 and six Raiders have only beat Russell Wilson and the Texans. That's who their wins are against. CBS pointed this out. From 1960 to 2021, 17 plus point blown leads by the Raiders five times in that time frame. Uh, the first eight games of 2022 under Josh McDaniels, they've done that three times. That was one of my favorite stats of the day until I saw, listen to this, Josh, Doug Peterson at three and six became the fifth most winning coach in Jaguars franchise history today. Passing Urban Meyer and Mike Munchak. Love that. Uh, Travis Etienne, 28 carries, 109 wow. yards. 30 touches. And two scores, two receptions. I mean, this is a player prior to the James Robinson trade had not seen more than 16 touches in a single game. And he and doubled the, that, basically. The past two weeks, he has 57 total touches. Devontae Adams had an interesting quote after the game, talking like ex expressing some frustration about how the Raiders handled themselves in the second half, saying that, he wanted more pass game looks because they were moving the ball with su such ease. And then in the second half, he was getting some targets, but was going nowhere with them. They said that he was starting to get double teamed at the end and they just had no other uh, answers. So super frustrating like right now. Hunter Renfro is not doing anything. Matt Collins, we know what he is. Uh, if they start doubling Devontae Adams offense is pretty to, brutal. To that point, Adams nine catches, 146 yards and those two touchdowns in the first half. He had one catch for zero yards on eight targets in the second half. We'll break that's it down tough. in stats versus film. That's that's real tough. I, I I thought that Derek Carr was in for a day uh, in that first half, and then you know the second half hits and nothing. Um, 
when the offense plays this way, I don't want to read too much into Josh Davis because he had such a great season, but like he was running so hot now that like, again, that six game stretch, hopefully, you know, the next, because these last two weeks have not been good. They've been fine. They've been average, but like if, you know, the team stinks, then it's more difficult for the running back to play well. Like it's, it's pretty simple math there. The usage. Yeah. It's still great for Josh Jacobs. Um, no running back behind Jacobs actually has had more than one carry in any game since week four. It's been all Josh Jacobs. But again, when the team doesn't score, Jacobs is practically useless. Okay. We'll close with Thursday night football. That was the Philadelphia Eagles beating the Houston Texans 29 to 17 slow start. For Philly, as we all saw, 14-14 at half. Uh, but then Jalen Hurts kicks in the high gear, 243 yards in the air, two passing touchdowns, dominated that intermediate area of the field, uh, especially to Dallas Goddard for 100 yards, A.J. Brown 59 yards and a score. And then uh, Miles Sanders clearing away the best back in this team as he continues to be, 17 carries, 93 yards and a score himself. I think the, the – Eagles formula for fantasy is pretty straightforward. One of the three will go off. One of them will have an average game and one of them will do not that much just because there's not that much volume. Um, but the offense looks, looks sweet here. And like you said, yeah, Miles Sanders, uh, big game against the non-existent Texans defense. No one also gets to victory lap Dallas Goddard. I saw that. Do not do that because of course he's been out there every single game. He's an every down player, except they haven't needed to play in the second half. You don't get to victory lap. The Texans pushing the Eagles in the second half. That's not fair. Yeah. I've seen a lot of stuff since we posted last week's scheme episode that the Eagles now are, you know, eight and no and how it's kind of fluky because of who they played and stuff. Like what more do you want? You know, it's a great defense with a great offensive line. That is, you know, a top three offense in totality, according to DVOA. Like, what more could you ask for? They're beating the opponents ahead of them. And what actually what we are seeing from an offense, if you have not gone and watched that episode scheme, I plead for you to do that, is that the Eagles offense has answers for everything. You know, it all opens with this inside zone and in unison brains of the offensive linemen working together. Then if you stop that, we also have an RPO and screen game that is incredibly unique. And then if you stop that and want to put another man in the box, then we're going to throw deep on you, like we've seen at portions of this field, in cover one and cover three scenarios. And against this Texans team, they started hitting all these hole shots in you know, the intermediate portions where it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 of 21 completions went to the air of the field for Jalen Hurts. They have an answer for everything. And if you try to stop it, the individual talents – of Dallas Goddard, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, and A.J. Brown can also beat you in that area. That's huge. They, they lost two starting offensive linemen mid-game against the Cardinals. They didn't throw the ball in the second half. They went to a running team in a competitive game because they can do that. Uh, defensive player of the year, Micah Parsons, lined up across Jalen Hurts in that one game against the Cowboys. All they did was run RPOs and move the pocket to drag Parsons along with tight ends with Dallas Goddard or their receivers to make sure he never pressured Jalen Hurts. They can limit you however the hell they want to. Both are true. The Eagles are an amazing team, and they had the softest schedule in the league. Sirian is amazing, man. He's very underrated right now. The only issue I think that could pop up from this is what Damian Pierce did to them with 27 carries for 139 yards because this was the first game we haven't seen Jordan Davis, who's been awesome. Now, I think the big difference was they moved off of, oh, I can't remember the backup defensive tackle they had at nose tackle, and they had Javon Hargrave at one of the three techs. They flipped that in the second half, and it got a lot better. Hargrave, one of my biggest draft crushes of all time, had an awesome performance here. I'd expect them to go back to that 
um, moving forward for the next, what, three or four games that Jordan Davis is on IR. But as long as they get him back for the playoffs, like that team is complete at every single level of the field. So, Damian Pierce, by the way, has outtouched Rex Burkhead 45 to three in the last two games. I think we did it. I think Any, we covered uh, every single game. Odell Beckham predictions. It sounds like he might sign sometimes. Cowboys. I think Cowboys do. Yeah. I mean, I think like the Noah Brown decline a little bit in terms of where he was to start the season. I think the Cowboys make a lot of sense. Um, and it sounds like he will be cleared next week is what I believe Rap Sheet said in one of the preview shows. Yeah, we had like kind of conflicting reports. It sounds like one says December, one says he can be cleared now. And that might be like cleared to practice and then like ramp up for December. I think the initial timeline was like anything after Thanksgiving uh, is kind of like the expectation. So I think he's worth a speculative ad. Um, but I think mostly for deep release. I think we're probably a couple weeks away. It, it, it can't be the Rams. Like the Rams are just so all far out of it. And by the way, Van Jefferson came back today and immediately dropped his first target, which was a 30-yard completion down the middle of the field. Toast. All right. That's going to do it for us. Daigle, tell the people where they can find your most important waiver wire 10, week 10 content uh, over on BetSperts and 4 for 4. Week 10, but still seven games of fantasy football playoffs left. If you DM me at now Daigle on Twitter, I can get you a coupon for 50% off. Oh, yeah. But 444.com, waiver wire will be up by Monday afternoon. Odell Beckham will be ranked accordingly, along with all the other injuries and fallouts that we have for week 10 in it. Let's do that. Hayden Sosa have their waiver video up on Mondays here on the channel. And the content doesn't stop there on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for Dave, Steve, Anthony, D. Lenny, Scampers, all of you, including El Nino in the chat. We appreciate it. Thanks for liking, subscribing, and leaving a comment down below. Up the Villa, 3-1. Love to see it. The Unai Emery era is here. Say that sometimes fast. Talk to you all soon.